0: This morning, what I want you all to see is that you are accepted and that you're valuable and that you're loved because God made you and he loves you and not because of how you measure up to the people around you. And I want you to see this because even those of us who would say, yes, of course, I believe that we suffer unnecessarily day in and day out because we live as if our real value is a relative quantity as far as it measures up to the people that are around us. Uh, Ten years ago, I had a, a regular practice of meeting with a group of friends every Thursday morning, early, before the sun came up, and we would meet together to pray for each other. Uh, We would each share about the things that were happening in our lives and what had happened in the week past. We would talk about the things that we were really happy about and then we would thank God for those things. And then we'd also share about the things that we were struggling with and we would pray for each other, asking for God's help for those things. There was one friend who seemed like he was down for a long time, maybe a full year of Thursday mornings. It just seemed like every week he felt worse and worse. One morning, he he said, guys, I I have to be honest. Uh, I have been suffering every week for a very specific reason and I wanna share it with you today. I have been comparing myself to each one of you every week and I feel miserable about it. Every time you share something in your life that's good, I see myself next to you, and I feel envious, and I feel jealous, and instead of celebrating with you, I feel miserable. And then he turned to one guy in particular, and he said, for you it's the worst, because as you've been succeeding lately, and that guy had been sharing about getting a new house, and how things were going well with his wife and his child, and, and had advanced in his career in an unexpected way, as you've shared that, I've been so resentful of you because I look at myself next to you and I just feel miserable about myself. He started to, uh, to tear up as he said it and he said, I just need to confess it and I'm sorry. And see, what he had been doing is he had been losing himself in the last habit that we're gonna consider together, which is the habit of comparing yourself to your neighbors. Uh, that's the habit of looking at people from a distance And imagining how good they have it and saying it right beside your picture of yourself and seeing how bad you have it and comparing the two. And of course, it doesn't only happen in that direction. It happens in the other way too. That is looking around to find people who are worse off than you and then setting their misery beside your apparent success and feeling better about yourself. Either way, the habit at its roots is really the same. It's the habit of looking for my value in the wrong place. And it always... It always makes us miserable. Whether we feel worse about ourselves because of how others seem to succeed or better because of how others seem to fail. Either way, we are walking on a road that is into misery. When my friend got done sharing what he did, we were all quiet. We thanked him for sharing. And then the guy with the new job, he looked right back at him and he said, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this. I've been doing the exact same thing with you every single week. I listen to you talk about your life and I compare it to my own and I feel miserable. Can any of you relate to this? Some of you are like, yeah, that's me. Others are like, no, I never do that. I never compare myself with those. All these other people, they're losers. I'm a winner. <laughs> there you go, you're doing it too. And what I want you to see is what I started with and it's this, that you're valuable and that you're accepted and that you're loved because God made you, and he loves you. I want to start by showing you this from from the words of a prophet generations ago, Isaiah. In chapter 43 of the book of Isaiah, uh, there's a magnificent moment in Scripture where that prophet looks out at the people of God and declares this. And I want you to hear these words, not just as old words for back then, but for you now. In verses one and four, here's what Isaiah says. Now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. These words were written in a time when Jacob and Israel, individual names, would have been understood as references to all of God's people collectively. And this time, the people of God, they'd wandered far away from God. They'd in fact run away from him and they were in exile. But even in that place where they would have fled from God because of their own misery, even there God reaches out through the prophet to say the truth about them, which is that because I formed you and made you, you are precious to me and honored and I love you. Listen, not because of how you measure up to the people around you, Not, not because you perform better or you have achieved more, not because your faith is stronger or you shine as an example of righteousness against others, but simply because I made you, you are precious to me and you are honored and I love you. And here, this is it for this morning. In Christ, all of us are invited to trust and accept God's love for us because he made us. And in that way, move away from this habit of constantly comparing ourselves to others. And I know that every one of us here, every one of us, whether we're a very confident and strong Christian or are still filled with more doubts than confidence about who God is, All of us could use some growth in this area away from comparing ourselves to others toward the kind of freedom that comes when we know that we're accepted because God made us. And here's how we're going to get this lesson into our minds this morning. I am gonna borrow some help from a children's book. Is that okay? What? Okay, good. If you had said no, then maybe you would have deleted this next part, but since you said yes, we'll go with it. All right, Josh, let's go with it. I want you to look at this picture. This is from a story written by a man named Max Lucado, and the story is called You Are Special. The Wemmicks were little wooden people who all lived in a village that was in a valley. Beside that village, up on the hillside, there was the woodshop of the carver who had made all of those little wooden people. His name is Eli. Every one of the Wemmicks has been made different from one another, but they've all been made by him. Some of them are tall, some of them are short. Some of them look beautiful, and some not so. They're plain and ordinary. Some can sing and dance. Others are good at speaking. They're all different, and they were all made by the woodcarver Eli. Now, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each one had a box of golden stars, And then also a box of gray dots. The gold stars, those were for the Wemmicks who did something good. If they were pretty, or if they could dance or jump high, if they could run fast, or they said smart things, the other Wemmicks would approach them and put a golden sticker on there. The gray dots, those were were for the Wemmicks who were not special, the ones who had chipped paint or who said silly things, or who weren't very skilled, who fell down when they tried to jump, or fumbled around when they tried to say something smart. Now there's one Wemmick, his name was Punchinello, and he he had nothing but gray dots. Because when Punchinello tried to do something special in front of others, he was so clumsy, he'd always fall down. The other Remix would come up and they would take out their box of dots and go ahead and cover him with a gray dot. And then when he'd try to stand up and explain why he had fallen, he would say something silly and so they'd put another gray dot on there. For him, this is how it went every day. He would try to run fast and fall and his paint would scrape and now another reason for a gray dot. It got so It got so bad for for Punchinello that he didn't want to go outside anymore because he knew, as soon as I walk out in the village, well, they'll give me another gray dot just because of how many I have. And so he stopped spending time out in the village and instead would stay indoors or spend time with others who had lots of gray dots. He would look at himself and he would think, not, well, I've got a lot of gray dots, but I must be a bad Wemmick. I'm not very valuable. I'm not worth as much as those who have all the stars. I, I, I must not be lovable at all. Now, this is not just a children's story. It's, not. it's a picture of what life is like in the world that you live in and that I live in. Because every one of us, wherever we find ourselves, will be in an atmosphere where all of the people around us are looking for who to reward with a golden star and who to reject with a gray dot. And, And there's no end to the criteria that we'll use to pass judgment on each other. And it happens with your friends. It happens at school. It happens at work. It happens with your family. It happens at church where we try to outshine the other people around us so that we can feel valuable by getting a star, so that we can feel accepted by being better than other people, so that we can believe that we are the ones who are loved not because of who we are, but because of who we are compared to the people around us. Do you know this is how it works? The thing about the whole entire game is that at bottom, it's empty and utterly meaningless. And it never makes anyone feel good. Not just the people who have gray dots, but the ones who have stars. Think of it like this. If I'm a person who carries around these gray dots and I look at the others around me and I feel miserable about myself, I compare myself to what I see on the outside, but I know deep down inside that that's not what's real. And it's just the same in the other direction. The person who's proud and looks at her, her stars or his stars looking down on others knows that the game, the entire game is arbitrary, that the stickers never go beneath the skin and that deep down inside, there is a gnawing question in every one of us and it is, am I really valuable? Do I really matter? Not because of I, how I compare to others, but ultimately, where is my value? And I speak now about the place that all of us find ourselves, I know it. You have walked down the path of comparing yourself to others and it has caused you misery unnecessarily. Whether you think you're worse than everybody and you're that kind of person or you think you're better than everybody and you're that kind of person. Either way, every time we engage in the habit of trying to keep up with the neighbors, we hurt ourselves unnecessarily because the information we get when we compare is unreliable, it's unhelpful, and and at, at bottom, it's unreal. I want to spend a a few moments on each one of those terms with you to help unfold this habit a little more. And if you think with me, you'll see it. The information that I get when I compare myself to others is, first of all, unreliable. Okay, imagine uh, yourself doing this. In your mind, you have two pictures. One is of you, and the other is the person that you're comparing yourself to. But they are both pictures. What I mean is, we, we, we have an idealized image of ourselves, a very edited picture of who we are. Does anybody else do this? You know what I mean? If you're the person who's inclined to feel superior to others, you edit out every mistake and you have an idealized picture of yourself and then you set that beside a picture of the other person that you're comparing yourself to and you only see their mistakes and then you put those two side by side and when you compare those two, it's unreliable because neither picture is accurate. Okay? Or maybe you're a person who doesn't feel superior to others. You look down on yourself. You hide it. But the picture you have of yourself only takes into account all of your failures. And there it is. And then you're comparing that to the outside image that the other person has chosen to show you. And that also is unreal. And when you put two unreal quantities side by side, trying to get information as you compare them, the information that you get will always be unreliable. You see it? Now, because it's unreliable, when I try to build my sense of value on unreliable information, the outcome is always unhelpful. And here, here you can simply think of that story I told you at the start, that I might be around friends, comparing myself to the other and feeling really bad about who I am and never know that all the while he's doing the exact same thing with me. And I'll tell you what, I bet that that circumstance in my group is not unique. I, I'm confident that there are many of you in here who've done the same thing. And, and if not in a small group, then in the ways that we compare ourselves through social media. Now, now I, I, I've, I've heard of studies about Facebook and about Instagram. Have you heard of these things? Okay, some of you have. The more time you spend on those social media sites, the less happy you are and the more your self-esteem goes down. This is not my opinion. Okay, research in, in many different across many different um, universities has demonstrated a coincidence between depression and more time looking at the pictures that others choose to post. Here's why. Uh, the, the effort of comparing yourself to what others show is manifestly unhelpful because they only show you the pictures of themselves which make them look really good. There's a reason that they're holding the camera up here. It hides this thing right down here. <laughs> right? Or the pictures that they post of the food that they're eating always look better than the food you're eating. The vacation shots that they choose to show you have been chosen out of a, 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 a 600. They just choose this one or two. The one or two moment in the entire vacation where everyone was happy, and that's all that you see. <laughs> and it's unhelpful because it just makes you unhappy. It does. And if you're one of those people who only friends, people on Facebook whose lives are miserable and you feel better because you compare favorably to them, you also know that as I speak right now that the whole thing actually doesn't work. The stars don't make you feel better. You're worried deep down inside that someone's gonna know really what's in here and then you're not gonna measure up. And that's how unhelpful it is. It's unhelpful even further because it makes it so I don't rejoice with my friends when they're, they're succeeding. Instead, I feel envious and jealous. And, and then, on the other hand, and this is even uglier, when they're failing and I see it, I secretly love it because it makes me feel better about myself. And I don't want to admit this out loud, but when I hear bad news about them, I take a little bit of joy in it because it makes me feel better about myself. That's how it goes when I live by the stars and the dots. I actually need the people around me to fail because it makes me feel better. Is that too much to say? That's why that TV show, Cops, is so popular for so many years. Do you know that show? Like you get the joy of watching someone else's life fall apart right there. Right? You do it. Here's the thing about the whole entire scheme. It is unreliable and unhelpful, but it's also unreal. And it's unreal because your value does not come from how you measure up to others. It's unreal because you are accepted not because you're better than the people around you. It's unreal because every day you feel better about yourself because you measure up favorably against someone else. You are telling yourself a lie which is unreal. Just like every moment you suffer because someone around you seems to be doing better, every moment you do that, you're also suffering in an unreal way. And here's the the simple heart of it. It's because your value and your being accepted and your being loved comes because God made you and he loves you. And you can't do anything about that. It's how it is. Let's come back to the story of the Wemmicks for a moment. Punchinello, who suffered so miserably because of all of his dots, there's a day when he met a Wemmick who was unlike every other Wemmick he'd ever met. She was different because she had no dots and no stars. He was stunned because every other Wemmick had either more stars or more dots, but she had none. And so there as she stood by him with her smile and her joy, he said, you have no stickers. Why not? And her response was simple. They don't stick to me. It's not that the other Wemmicks didn't try to put them on her. They did. They would see her walking and and they would see her joy and her smile and her freedom and they would think she is special and they would take out a gold star and put it on her but it would fall right off. Or she would be walking through town with all the others and they would notice that one has no dots and to, to reward her for her not having dots they would put a star on, again it would fall right off. And then, of course, sometimes the women's would see her and say, well, she has no stars. That's not good. And so they would put a gray dot on her. But again, that one would also fall off. And when Eli saw her, he thought, that's how I want to be. That is how you want to be. I know it. You want to be free from the misery of always having to compare yourself to others. And this is equally true if your inclination is to look down on yourself because everyone seems to be doing better, as it is if your inclination is to feel better about yourself because everyone around you seems to be beneath you. Whichever group you're in, you want to be free from that miserable game of the stars and the dots. You want to be free of the habit of trying to keep up with the neighbors. Because God made you to know deep in your soul that he knows everything about you. You can't hide a thing from him. Everything about you is known to him. And and there's never a time when you'll be away from him. You can try to run but you'll never get away. And with those two things in your mind, you also deep down inside want to know that when he regards you, that you matter to him just because of who you are. Punchinello says to Lucia, How come the stickers don't stick? And her answer is this. Every day, I walk away from this village and I climb up the hill to the workshop of Eli and I sit down with him and I talk to him and he listens to me and he talks to me and I listen to him. Punchinello says, I I don't understand. How does that work? Well, she says, I can't explain it to you. You just have to go yourself up there. Go and talk to him and see what happens. Now, I want to tell you this, and I want this to be plain. If any one of us in here would go and spend time in the presence of God, and if that seems really strange or weird to you because you've never heard of that, I mean simply take away all kinds of distractions and be still and wait And then open our heart to the divine. If we've never done that before, imagine that maybe there is a God out there who is listening. If any one of us would do that, whether for the first time or if you have traveled with him for many, many years and yet you've still got caught up in this habit of comparing yourself because that's what the world is like. If you would set all that aside and spend time with God, you'd see these three things. Listen, you'd see first that he knows everything about you because he made you. And then you'd see, secondly, that even if you wanted to hide a part of you, you never could. And then thirdly, you would see, if you dwelt there, that he loves you. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite of many of the Psalms. And if you're unfamiliar with them, the Psalms are are poetry in the center of the Bible, written by uh, many of them by David, a man who spent so much time in the wood shop of Eli that he knew God deep down. And in this poem, I want you to look at it with me. In this one, he shows us what I've just said, that God knows everything, that I can never get away from God and that he loves me because he made me. Look at how Psalm 139 starts. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. You know everything, not just the outside, the inside. I never make a move and it's unknown to you. He continues in verse four, even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is so high that I cannot even attain it. When I think of God's knowledge of me, the poet says, it's, it's beyond my comprehension that God could know everything that I've, I've brought into this place here this morning and not just what I look like on the outside but the inside too. The thought of it makes the poet struck with wonder in such a way that he imagines I cannot even attain the magnificent knowledge of God And that thought, that thought makes the poet ask a question. Look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Pay attention here. He's imagining running away from God, fleeing from the presence of God, getting away from the spirit of God. Somehow it seems that the thought that God knows everything about him All of his deeds, everything that he shows on the outside and what's going on on the inside too makes him a little nervous. Maybe I need to run away from God, he thinks. If you don't know the story of the man who wrote this psalm, you'd understand why he thinks that. He was a mess in some ways. And the thought struck him, if God knows everything about me, maybe I should flee and get away. Where could I go to flee him? Maybe some of you know what that's like to think. Uh, Surely, Punchinello, with all of his dots, would wonder whether he could go and see Eli after all. (laughs) In verse 8, he gets poetic here. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. Or, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Heaven is the highest place the poet can imagine. Sheol is the land of the shadows and the dead and gloom forever beneath the earth. The poet here is saying, if I went as high as anyone could ever go or as low as anyone could go, God himself would still be there. He continues in verse nine. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, the wings of the morning is a poetic image for the sun rise, and the farthest limits of the sea, that's where the sun sets. Here he's saying, if I could go from one end of the ocean all the way to the other, off the end of the earth, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. The leading hand of God is an image of the kind-hearted gesture of God reaching out his right hand to grasp our lost hand so that he can guide us when we're far from where we should be. And here the poet is saying, even if I tried to run from one end of the earth to the other to get away from God because this thought that he knows me scares me, even there he would be present with me to hold my hand and lead me. Your right hand holding me fast. That's a picture of the embrace of God, the kind and tender-hearted hug of God. Imagine God as a tender-hearted mother lifting you like an infant and bringing you close. Verse 11. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night... Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Here he imagines descending into the land of shadows because of shame, because of grief and misery, because of anger or disbelief, plunging himself into the shadows to get away from God. And even there, he says, God, you'll see me because the darkness is as light to you. I could never get away from God even if I tried. Why not? The answer is in verse 13. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That is a beautiful way of saying, because you made me. Because God crafted you on purpose. Because God himself, before even one day of yours existed, had in his own divine heart and mind the person who is you and he got to work before you were born, knitting you together in the womb of your mother, And because he crafted you, because he formed you like that, because he decided in his own divine omnipotence to bring you into being, you are to him a thing of beauty, something precious, the apple of his eye, beloved to him in a way that you could never imagine and that you could never undo. Who cares how you measure up to anyone else? Surely not him. You are valuable and you are accepted and you are loved because he made you and he loves you. Oh, if I could make you believe that, I would be glad. I'm serious. I wish I could. I know that I can't. I wish that I could do something that would get it into your heart and mine too, that I can run away from always comparing myself to others because it just doesn't matter anymore. Because the one and only thing that matters is how I measure up to God, God's own vision of me, and when God looks at you, he loves you. Look at how he winds it up in verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. The things which God has made are for the poet, things of wonder that are magnificent. And when he turns his gaze toward himself, he thinks, because God himself has made me, there is in me this wonder and this awesomeness, and it's not too much to say that, that comes because he made me and he loves me. You, you are invited now to trust that God made you and loves you and trusting that to walk away from the unreliable pattern of comparing yourself to others, to leave behind that unhelpful dynamic of always being separate because you have to measure up, to, to let that unreality go and come into the place where you really sit before the one who made you and loves you and, and take confidence and security from that fact. Uh, let's come back one more time uh, to the story of the Wemmicks. Now, Punchinello, after meeting Lucia and seeing her freedom, he, he sat uh, gazing out over the village where he lived And he saw all of the people lost in the misery of the stars and the dots. And even though he didn't know what yet to think of Eli, he knew it was wrong. This is not how it should be, he thought. And that thought, combined with the inspiring picture of Lucia, made him decide to leave behind his home and go walk up that hill to see if maybe he could also be in the presence of Eli and he climbed that hill and, and the door to the wood shop was open and so he crept inside. And when he got inside, well, everything was so big and so magnificent that he was frightened. The tools were as, were as big as he was. And he could see behind the glow of the lamp that the wood carver was at work behind his desk and he was afraid. And what he thought to himself is, that one there, Eli, surely he would not want to see me because I'm covered with dots. And I know that many of us have stayed away from God because of all the misery that's behind us, all the dots. And we've been told that we could never come to him unless we got rid of those first. Well, here is Eli. He's standing on the doorstep and he's considering going to talk. Here's Punchinello considering to talk to Eli. And the thought strikes him, he won't want to see me. And so he turns his back and begins to walk away when he hears the voice of the woodcarver say his name. Punchinello. He stops. He stops. Punchinello, you've come to see me. He turns and he he asks, You know my name? And Eli says, Of course I know your name. I made you. I've been waiting for you to come and spend time with me every day. Punchinello walks forward and he says, I met someone who had no stickers and I wanted to know how she did that. And, And Eli says, Of course, I know that you met her. She's been telling me about you. Together, we've been hoping that you would come. And now, with the eyes of the woodcarver on him, he feels embarrassed. And Eli says, I see that you have a lot of gray dots. And Punchinella responds, I am sorry. I I didn't try to. It was a mistake. And Eli interrupts him. Oh, I don't care about the dots at all. Those dots were given to you by the other Wemmicks. I don't care at all what they think about you. The only thing that matters to me is how I think about you. And I think you are very special because I made you and I love you. Now listen, Punchinello couldn't believe it because of all those days he spent laboring under the misconception that what what matters most is how I measure up to others. And he said so to Eli. Eli, I don't understand. Uh, It doesn't make sense to me. And then Eli took him and very simply said, Punchinello, you can't understand now, but you will come and spend time with me every day. And each day you spend with me, you'll understand better than the day before. That the reason the stickers don't stick to Wemmicks like Lucia is they've decided that what others think about them, that doesn't matter. But what matters is what I think about them. And I want you to remember that I know you and that I see you always and that you matter to me and are special because I made you and I love you. And with that, one gray dot fell off of that punchinello and he went out. And now here is what would make this message today a success. If your your dots became a little bit looser, and not only your dots, but your stars too. That is, if you stopped taking pride in your success, or, or if you stopped looking down on yourself because of your failures, and instead you came before the one who made you and loves you, and were ready to listen to the truth of his love, and in that way be freed from the habit of always comparing yourself to others. I want to read to you, not from a children's story, but from the word of God from the Bible. And this is how we're going to wind this entire series down. Words about how God loves you. Listen to these. This is 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's a statement that says God loves us first. Or how about these words? These are from Romans 5, uh, verses 6 through 8. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is a word for all of us. And then one last word. This is from Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5. Listen now to these words. They're for you. God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, with which he loved you, even when we were dead in our trespasses and through our sins, that is even when we were covered with gray dots, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You are free from trying to have to establish your value by measuring up to others. And you're invited to trust that because God made you that you are precious to him and he loves you. We're going to sing about how great God's love is for us. If you don't know this song, listen as we sing it and ask God to help your heart know it, okay? And if you know this song, and even if you don't have a good voice, all right, sing at the top of your lungs so that someone around you might believe it today for the first time.